Would you bow your heads in prayer with me? Almighty God, we do ask you this morning to come and anoint the preaching, the declaration, the proclamation of the Word of God in our midst. Lord, we come uh, here hungry to hear a word from you, Lord. We, we don't need the wisdom of man. We need the manifestation of the power of the Spirit of God present in the Word, bringing to life faith and repentance in our hearts. And Lord, I do pray this morning especially a gift of encouragement for troubled hearts. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, speaking of troubled hearts, let me ask you this morning, how are you doing? Just take a moment and, and think about where you feel like you are today in your heart. Is your heart troubled? Uh, you may be aware of this. You probably are. Multiple studies and personal experiences revealed that we're in the midst of an unprecedented major mental health crisis in this country right now. Uh, the, mental crisis, uh, the mental health crisis we're experiencing uh, is particularly severe among Gen Z, among other uh, younger people. But back during the pandemic, the height of the pandemic, 40%, 40% of all Americans indicated that they were dealing with a mental health issue or substance abuse. Um, and you know, we haven't reset to those pre-pandemic normals yet, have we? We still see that high level of emotional um, frailty. So on top of that, the Surgeon General just this past week released a report and he said that we're having an epidemic of, did anybody read this? An epidemic of loneliness, yeah, an epidemic of loneliness. So whether or not we're, we may be personally experiencing or have a friend who's experiencing or a family member who's experiencing some emotional or mental health challenge this morning, many of us, many of us are finding, please listen, that our hearts are indeed troubled. Our hearts are troubled. Just anecdotally, I'm finding that many people of all ages are walking around with a sense of impending doom. Do you know what I'm talking about? Have you, do you know these people? Just, you know, thanks a lot, social media. Really appreciate that. Thanks a lot, news media. You're really helping. Not at all, actually. So I can't imagine a more timely word from our Lord Jesus Christ this morning than this encouraging word from John's Gospel. John chapter 14, let not your hearts be troubled. Let not your hearts be troubled. We need that admonition from Jesus. We need to hear it this morning, not just as being directed to those very first disciples who gathered with Him to hear those words spoken, but they are words for us this morning as well. Let not your hearts be troubled. And I think the best way of making, starting to make a connection here is that we need to ask ourselves, what is the context, all right? What's the context in John's Gospel for Jesus speaking these words? Well, our passage is, as you know, from John chapter 14, and it's situated within a broader discourse, a broader conversation that Jesus is having. It begins back in John chapter 13, uh, and this is the, the, the conversation that he and the disciples are having at the last meal that he will share with them before his passion, before his suffering and crucifixion. This is the last gathering they're having. This is, uh, John situates it at a meal before the Passover. And you know what happens. We actually, uh, I'm sure you did this back on uh, Monday, Thursday, just a few weeks ago. Uh, you, ha you perhaps had a foot washing. We have that tradition at Christ Church where uh, the church I planted back in Winston-Salem years ago that we, we actually do, I mean, those people think they're Baptists. 
They think they're free will Baptists. Free will Baptists love to wash a foot. I got to tell you, if you don't know that, they do. They love some, some foot washing. And so, uh, and so we act just like that. So we get together on Monday, Thursday, and we do what Jesus said, you know. Um, I, I heard, a, I, I heard a, 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 actually an acquaintance uh, say on a, on a podcast, he was like, you know, we don't have to wash feet. I don't want to do that. And I said, well, you know, Jesus said, bless are you if you do this, if you follow this example. So in that, that setting of John chapter 13, Jesus has washed the disciples' feet. He has said, you know, I'm, I'm your, you say that I'm your master and your Lord, and you're correct. If I am your master and Lord, do this, you should do this also. You should also do this as well. But then in the midst of that supper, listen, there is an ominous turn. There's an ominous turn. And John tells us in John 13 that Jesus was troubled in his spirit. He became troubled in his spirit, and he said, one of you will betray me. One of you will betray me. And then, of course, the meal continues, or that conversation continues, and, and Peter says, Lord, I, I, if I have to lay down my life, I'm not going to turn my back on you. And Jesus said, Peter, I tell you that before the rooster crows, you will have denied me three times. That's the context in which Jesus speaks these words. Don't let your hearts be troubled, because I can guarantee you Someone will betray me. Jesus is obviously troubled. There is a sense now of impending doom. Something bad is about to happen. Peter, you are going to deny me. And in the midst of that, he says, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. This is his solution. Believe in God. Believe also in me. So trust in God. This is what Jesus tells those disciples. Trust in God and trust in Jesus. And that sounds, doesn't it sound simplistic? Doesn't that sound simplistic to you? It does to me, but that really is the solution. Here's the, here's the reason why. If the troubles of the world are overwhelming us, if the troubles of this world are overwhelming us, the only remedy, sure remedy, is a peace that comes from beyond this world. We need a transcendent peace because all of the worldly solutions that we will seek to to put our troubled hearts at ease, all of the worldly solutions will be overwhelmed by the very next worldly problem. Won't they? So as St. Augustine has said, and you're, you know this quote, O Lord, Thou hast made us for Thyself, and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in Thee. O Lord, Thou hast made us for Thyself, and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in Thee. And that's exactly where Jesus takes them. Listen to what he says next. So he's saying, so your hearts are troubled by all that is happening around you, by the words I've just spoken to you, what's going to come in just a few hours. In John 14, verses 2 and 3, Jesus says this. So he says, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. And, and this almost, please listen, it almost sounds non sequitur. But it, it sounds like it's not connected, but it is connected. He says this, In my Father's house there are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am you may be also. So Jesus, listen, directs his disciples beyond the urgency 
and the travail of the present moment. He's directing their attention beyond the urgency and the, and the heartbreak of that present moment to a peace and security beyond the limits of this fallen world. We have a home, Jesus tells us. We have a, a home in the Father's house. There is something far better beyond the current darkness that we experience. Y'all know, do you know the story about the woman that wanted to be buried with a fork? Do you know the story? Because I will tell it, even if you do know it anyway, so there's, it's just, you might as well just give up at this point. But uh, there's a, there was a woman who was in the last stages of her life, and she told the uh, pastor, she said, uh, I have, she said, he said, are there any special requests for the service? No, 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 I just want a prayer book service. Thank you very much. And he said, okay, anything else? Any special requests at all? She said, yes, I'd like to have a fork in my, in my casket at the viewing. A fork? Well, why do you want a fork? And she said, well, you know, all of the, uh, for uh, my whole life in church, every time we've had a, a covered dish, do y'all have potlucks or covered dish? <sighs> every time we have a potluck, or a social at church, and they're taking the plates away. Somebody always says this, uh, save your fork, save your fork. Something good is coming. The best is yet to come. So when I'm buried, I want to be buried with a fork so when people see me, they'll know that the best is yet to come. The best is yet to come. This is a promise, says uh, Jesus gives us. There's something far beyond this present darkness that we are experiencing. We will not be orphaned. Jesus will come and take us to himself. That's a promise of relationship. I'll come and take you to be with me. It's a promise of relationship, of intimacy. Listen, of belonging. Of belonging and of being at rest. And this isn't just pie in the sky by and by. Hey, it's like I grew up with Southern Gospel, which is why I don't like Southern Gospel. There's a lot of, there's a lot of really bad theology in Southern Gospel, but we always uh, typified it as being dying and flying. You know, life is really horrible here, but I'm going to die and go to heaven. But this isn't pie in the sky by and by. No, this is, this is something else. Listen, this is so important. This is, Jesus says, this is the anchor of hope. And if you're writing something down, you might want to write that down. This is the anchor of hope. We pray it every day. If you're praying the morning prayer service in the Book of Common Prayer, we come to the great Thanksgiving and we pray this, these words, we bless you for our creation, preservation, and redemption, and all the blessings of this life, but above all for your immeasurable love in the redemption of the world by our Lord Jesus Christ, for the means of grace, and for the hope of glory. This is an anchor of hope. No matter what's going on right now, the best is yet to come. You know, hope may be the most underrated Christian virtue. At the core of the mental health crisis, I am convinced, at the core of our sense of impending doom is what I would call the eclipse or the eclipse of hope. It's the eclipse of hope. We're a hopeless people. And Jesus is telling his disciples, though, in that meal right before the worst thing that could possibly happen is about to happen, right before his suffering and death, right before the terror and heartbreak of those hours that they will soon experience, he says, hope in God. 
Let not your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Set your hope in God. Victor Frankl, in his book, Man's Search for Meaning, recounts how hope for the future, hope for the future was the single most important factor in determining whether his fellow prisoners would survive in the Nazi concentration camps. The number one thing that was determinative for whether or not someone was going to survive that experience was hope for the future. He wrote this, he said, listen, the prisoner who had lost faith in the future, his future was doomed. With his loss of belief in the future, he also lost his spiritual hold. He let himself decline and become subject to mental and physical decay. So beloved, listen. Stop doom scrolling. Does anybody, have you ever, heard, raise your hand if you've heard that word. If I'm the only, thank you. There's like five people here, good. So, it's like, it's like, um, I had a family member who, this was back during the pandemic. He just, he just went from one bad news article to another. You know, it's called doom scrolling. And, geez, and I would say to you on behalf of the Lord this morning, uh, stop doom scrolling. You know, Jesus said in Luke's gospel when he, was, when he was foretelling the very worst of times in Luke chapter 21, in the little apocalypse in Luke chapter 21, listen to what Jesus says. He says, this, things are going to be tough, guys. But listen, and when these things begin to come to pass, when these things begin to come to pass, then look up and lift up your heads for your redemption draweth nigh. When these things come to pass, look up, lift up your heads, for your redemption draweth nigh. Jesus says, and you know the way to where I am going. You know how to get to the object of that hope. And I love how Thomas, Thomas is amazing in John's gospel. All we think about is doubting Thomas. You know, but he's great. He's like, you know, Jesus is saying, you know, at one point in John's gospel, he says, well, I'm going to go back to Judea, going back to Jerusalem. And, and the disciples say, well, they were just trying to kill you there about five minutes ago. And, uh, and I love what Thomas says. He says, well, let us go also that we may die with him. <laughs> Thanks for harshing my mellow there, Thomas. He's so concrete, and I love what he says here. He says, he says to Jesus, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? You know, Thomas, the very concrete Thomas, says, Jesus, if we, you, you say we know the way. We miss, that men, we miss that memo. We don't have that memo. And Jesus responds, Thomas, I am the way. Way, it means what it means in English. I mean, the, the Greek word here means road or path, or if you're a Spanish speaker and I'm not, El Camino. You know, it means the road. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You know, we hear, listen to that. We hear that sentence, no one comes to the Father except through me. And you know, what do we hear? We hear exclusion, don't we? And yes, at one, at one level, Jesus is making, listen, he is making an exclusive truth, truth claim. 
Yes, exactly. But, it's, it's, it, but if you hear the emphasis there being exclusion, you're missing the point. Here's what Jesus is saying. Listen, you're wasting your time seeking your ultimate desire unless you seek it through me. Our hearts are restless until they find their rest in God. Jesus is saying you're wasting your time seeking for your heart's desire, ultimate desire, unless you seek it through me. Randy Alcorn says it like this. He says, uh, nothing is more often misdiagnosed than our homesick for heaven. Now, by the way, when, when Alcorn talks about that, and he's written a, a book or a couple of books, I think, about heaven, he doesn't mean like, you know, some sort of immaterial, ethereal existence. He's talking about the new heavens and the new earth. He's talking, it's, when he says heaven, he, that's his shorthand for the new creation that we're looking forward to and we hear about so gloriously uh, illustrated in the revelation of St. John. So he says this, he says, nothing is more often misdiagnosed than our homesickness for heaven. We think that we want sex, drugs, alcohol, a new job, a raise, a doctorate, a spouse, a large screen television, a new car, a cabin in the woods, a condo in Hawaii. What we really want is the person we were made for, Jesus, and the place we were made for, heaven, nothing less can satisfy us. Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and life. I'm the way to get to your heart's ultimate desire. And let's break it down real quick. I'm not going to belabor these points, but I do want us to listen to what Jesus is saying here. Jesus says he is the way. Now here is the fallen human condition in a nutshell. Please listen. We desperately, we will desperately try every other way of fulfillment. We will desperately try every other way of enjoyment. We will desperately try every other way to find peace. This is our fallen condition as long as it isn't Jesus. So many of the millennial and Gen Z folks I know and love may not know what the answer, answer to their loneliness or their depression or their alienation is, but they know one thing. It's not Jesus. They are sure it isn't Jesus. They'll try anything. And boomers will too. And the greatest generation, y'all did it. You did it too. But Jesus says that He is the only way for our restless hearts to finally find rest in God. And then Jesus says, He is the truth. This is so important because, listen, for Christians, truth is not an abstract, truth is not an abstract philosophical concept. For us, truth is a person. You know, right at the beginning of John's gospel, in chapter 1, Jesus te- I mean, John tells us that Jesus is the Logos. He, you, you know, that, that passage in the beginning was the Word. That, the word word there comes from the Greek word logos. In the beginning was the word. In the beginning was the logos. And the word was with God. And the word was God. And he was with God in the beginning. Here's the point. That, that when John uses that term logos, he's drawing on uh, Greek thought around him. There, and this is a wonderful thing, particularly among the uh, Stoic philosophers. We won't get into the weeds about this. But they said that there was, they, the, the philosophers of John's day said, said that there was an organizing principle. There's an organizing principle behind the universe. And that organizing principle brings coherence 
and meaning and, uh, and, to the universe and makes the universe understandable, okay? John says, you think that's a concept. Let me tell you, Jesus is the Logos. He is, Jesus is the source. He's the, he's the truth. He is the source of reason and rationality. And if we reject the source of reason and rationality, what are we left with? Delusion. Falsehood. You know, we live in a moment where we hear this phrase a lot. My truth. My truth. I have to live my own truth based on my own personal experience looking deep within myself, you know, just like Elsa. Right? But when we do that, first of all, and as I said, when we reject the one who is the truth, the only alternative is to embrace falsehood and delusion and I think the crisis of mental illness that we are experiencing right now is directly related to this. Rejecting Jesus Christ is rejecting the truth, and all that is left, therefore, is delusion and inauthentic living. And the second thing, please listen, the second thing that happens is when we reject the truth, who is Jesus, is isolation and alienation and loneliness because if the truth is a person then truth is by definition what? It's relational. If you're going to know truth, you have to be in relationship with the person who is the truth. So people feel isolated and alienated because they've determined to reject the very source of relationship itself, the God who exists in eternal community, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the God who is in His essence relationship. And Jesus, He says, Jesus is the life. Jesus, listen, we need to remember this. Jesus Christ did not come into the world to make bad people good. He came into the world to make dead people live. Jesus didn't come to make bad people good. He came to make dead people live. Jesus is the life. If you look at the Anglican Standard Text for Holy Communion in our prayer book, the emphasis in that, that uh, prayer for Holy Communion that first, in that first service the emphasis is on Jesus' work of saving us from sin, and that is good, and that is true. But in the Bible, please listen, brothers and sisters, we need to remember this. In the Bible, humanity's ultimate problem isn't sin. It's death. Our ultimate problem is death. Sin is what introduces death into human experience. Sin leads to death, but the great enemy, our great enemy, is death. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 25 and 26, Paul writes, For Jesus must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet, and the last enemy to be destroyed, the last enemy to be destroyed is death. Now, brothers and sisters, some of us have heard this, and I hope we haven't, but probably have said this at some point when someone is suffering and in uh, terminal illness, and we say, well, after all, death is our friend. No, it's not. Death is the enemy, and Jesus is going to crush it under his feet once and for all. We're in the season of Easter. Jesus Christ is risen from the dead, and death has begun to work backwards. Jesus Christ is risen from the dead, and everything sad is becoming untrue. How do you like that? Tolkien and C.S. Lewis reference in one sentence. <laughs> Speaking of C.S. Lewis, says, if you've read The Great Divorce, uh, you know that it's, a, it's about a, a group of people in hell 
who take a bus ride to the outskirts of heaven, right? And so they're all, they're all being, you know, just mean to each other because they're in hell. And they all get on the bus, and there's a lot of argument and cussing and what, what, what all, what all. <laughs> and, and so they get, they get to, to the outskirts of heaven, and when they get off the bus, they realize that they are immaterial. It says that like smudges on the air is what Lewis says. That they're, they're wispy, immaterial, unsubstant, insubstantial ghosts. He refers to them as ghosts. And that the people who have embraced a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, when they meet those people, what does Lewis call them? He says those are the solid people. Those are the solid people. Jesus makes you solid. He is the life. And if you want to be a solid, real, substantial person, it's only through Jesus Christ. It's only through Jesus Christ. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house there are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will return and take you to be where I am. Relationship. Hearts are troubled. The only relief is in that relationship. Years ago, um, when our youngest daughter was four years old, uh, we, we were put through what every parent has to go through. You have to play Candyland. Ever done that? Played Candyland? You know, the, you know how it goes, right? It's been entertaining families for generations. And, and so you have this cardboard game board that has a, like a little trail on it, you know, and, and has these little colors on the, you know, each, each part of the trail is a little block of color, and everybody gets a marker, and uh, you have to get past things like the molasses swamp. I don't want to get, I don't want to go past the molasses swamp. I want some biscuits with that. But anyway, um, so you have to get past the molasses swamp and these other obstacles so that you can reach the candy castle at the end, right? You remember this? And uh, so we were playing with our, our four-year-old daughter, Elizabeth, and, and as we were playing, we noticed a strange thing happening. Um, you, you draw a card, and the card has a color on it, and that color tells you what color square you go to next. And what we began to notice is that we were all drawing the same color. You know, Lisa, my wife, and Elizabeth, our daughter, and, and then I would all draw the same color. And, and at some point, fairly early on, Lisa turned to Elizabeth. She said, honey, did you arrange these cards in this deck? And she said, oh, yes, Mommy. I did that so we could all be together. <laughs> oh! <laughs> I did that so we could all be together. I wanted to crush my opponents. <laughs> <laughs> I, wanna, I will dominate Candyland. <laughs> I wanted to win, and Elizabeth wanted to be together, and she was like, having a lot more fun than I was because she saw it as a way of being in relationship. You and I are made for that relationship. So to be with Jesus, He is the way, the truth, and the life to have that relationship that will truly settle our troubled hearts that that point of relationship is so critical that we have a meal that's really actually named relationship we call it communion right and what is communion it's nothing less than relationship it's it's being connected first of all to god 
when we come to His table, and we are going to come to His table in just a moment, somehow God says, uh, here, here, is, here is a taste of that home in my house for you. This is a foretaste of that meal. And that relationship is rekindled and renewed around the table in bread and wine. And it's also a communion with one another. We are the body of Christ. We receive the body of Christ in this meal. And we are what we eat. And we will become the body of Christ renewed again around this table. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe in Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask in Jesus' name. Lord, for restless hearts here this morning, remind us to look to You. To take our eyes off the things of the present that are so dominating and disturbing and discouraging and to remember that the best is yet to come. That we have a home and security and a place of peace that this world can never touch or taint. And that we can begin to experience it now in the body of Christ, around your table, and as we fellowship with you through your spirit. So may we, may we know that truth today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.